going to start a series uh, for the summer in 1 Samuel and looking at stories on that, but today I want to conclude this series on uh, Jesus Loves Me. As we've been looking at that, I've, I've made reference to the fact that John, uh, as a disciple of Jesus, always references himself different uh, in his own gospel that he wrote, and he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't just label himself John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you read their Gospels, and when John is mentioned, he's just John. But when John goes to write his Gospel, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, it's easy for us to think, especially because of the the song, Jesus Loves Me, was written for children, And uh, that theme is drilled home to us in Sunday school. It's easy for us to, as adults, kind of grow out of that thinking. We just get busy with our lives and we move on and somehow or another we almost get to the place where we lose sight of the fact that Jesus loves me. But I think it's actually as critical for you and I to live our lives appropriately, to have that foundation built solid in our life. And sometimes that means that we need to go back and reclaim that truth from our childhood and bring it and make it current again. I want to just go through those some references in John where John refers to himself as a beloved disciple. Jesus had, um, here's a passage in John where he's telling his disciples, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Can you just picture it? They're all around a, a big table and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me and they're not worried in the least about themselves. They're just thinking, which one of you is it? (laughs) And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And so you have Jesus and John sitting right next to him. And Simon Peter, just over there somewhere else, motions to this disciple, ask him, ask him which one he means. They all want to know, and Simon Peter just had to know which one it was. But the interesting thing is that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus is on the cross, and he looks down, and he sees his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And Jesus said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Let him take care of you. John the Beloved. Then there's John 20. This is at the resurrection. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, Oh, that I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, we'll go down to that one. Um, it is the Lord. Um, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. You know, they're, they're out in the boat fishing and Jesus is there on shore and, 
You know, they're trying to figure out who that is. And John was the first one to recognize him. The one that Jesus loved recognized him. And he said that to Peter. And Peter just took off to get to Jesus. But above that, at the resurrection, um, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And then in John chapter 21 again, there's this wonderful passage where Peter is talking with Jesus. And Jesus has told Peter how he's going to die. And he's told him that he's going to die a martyr's death. And Peter turns around and he looks at John, the one whom Jesus loved. And he sees John following them. And the next words out of Peter's mouth is, well, what about him? (laughs) If I'm going to die a martyr, what about John? And Jesus says, What I do with him is none of your business. You follow me where I'm leading you. And if that's to a martyr's death, that's to a martyr's death. But what I do with John is my business with John. John the Beloved. Now, Jesus loved all of his disciples. Every one of them. But I think The neat thing as you read the Gospel of John is recognizing that John reveled in the fact that Jesus loved him. When he thought of himself, he thought of himself as a person that Jesus loved. And so I think that perhaps we ought to adopt that theme. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And we need to keep that theme in our hearts. We just sung those words. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. What's the most wonderful truth in the Bible to you? If it is that Jesus loves you, that ought to become more predominant in your thinking and in your mindset. I want to say two things this morning. First, that we are to receive the love that Jesus has for us. And secondly, that we are to share it. Jesus tells us this, first of all, in John chapter 15, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Oh, that's that's an amazing thing to stop and think about how God the Father loved Jesus and that Jesus loves us in the same way that God the Father loved Jesus. That's an amazing truth for us to digest and to live on. And then Jesus says, now remain in that. Receive it. Remain there. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then there, you know, that's Jesus. And then you get to Paul. 
And Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The great apostle Paul, and get the, you know, he just says, who loved me? God loves you. And then there's the beloved disciple John who writes in the opening um, of the, the apocalyptic book, Revelation. In verse 5, he says, To him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us. And he, he just you know assigns the whole book to this God who loves us that much. Then there's Jude. He's the, the uh, brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus. And he writes in chapter 1 of Jude, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And then he says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Well, it's very obvious that God has committed himself to loving us. You you just can't miss that as you walk through the New Testament that God loves us. He loved his disciples. He, he, He just loved them all. And he loves every one of us. And we need to receive it. We need to be reminded of it. We need to remain in that love. Um, These apostles, they had become convinced of it. John so much that he he just, that was his, his, you know, third person name that he stuck in in the gospel when he referred to himself. Instead of just calling himself by his name, he said, the one whom Jesus loved. That is how John lived. When he got sent to the Isle of Patmos and ended his life there, he thought of himself as the one that Jesus loved. Through good, through bad, through watching other disciples be martyred for their faith, it didn't matter what happened, John thought of himself as the one that Jesus loved. My second point is this that you and I need to share that love. Once we receive the love of Jesus, we're called to share it. Janice made uh, one of the, the, the phrases in the song that Janice sang for us, um, made that point so well that we're called to go out into the world. Um, and we need to do that once we receive the love of Jesus. But I want to caution you just a little bit. Sometimes we share the love of Jesus before we have received it. And the problem with that is is that then our love is merely a work instead of a fruit. And as I understand the scriptures and as I understand um, what Paul is trying to say in 1 Corinthians and, and all of that is that our love for others ought to be a natural fruit of what we have received, not something that we have to work to produce. 
And a lot of times when we love others, it is merely works. Being good, doing good, doing the right thing. Rather than a fruit of our life after receiving and feeling loved by God the Father and by Jesus. So we want to avoid, we want to avoid just loving other people as a responsibility, as a works that we're doing unto God. I think we want it to become a fruit of our life that flows out of the fact that we have received the love of Jesus. The second thing is true, that if you and I begin to just love people before we have really internalized the love of God, our love can be hollow and empty. The actions are all there, but it just doesn't ring true for the people receiving it. And so I, I, I want to caution you this morning and just say that sometimes we need to make sure that we have internalized the love of Jesus into our life so that as we share the love of Jesus, it becomes more real. We do not consistently and persistently extend love if we don't know we are loved. That is something really important for every one of us to know. And a lot of times in our fallen world, a lot of things happen and we don't feel very loved. And that's why it is so important for every one of us to have that solid relationship with Jesus Christ where we know in him we are loved. Days before the crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now again, that's a pretty incredible verse there. As I have loved you, love one another. You just stop and think about some of the disciples that Jesus had and the mix that he had and the fact that Jesus loved all of them. We can oftentimes find it pretty easy to love people one-on-one, but then you throw them in a group (laughs) and sometimes loving them becomes a little bit more of a challenge. And you have some radicals in the group of disciples. You have, um, they were called zealots in that day, but they were extremists. They were kind of terrorists. And Jesus had at least two of them, and we think up to four of those as disciples that were such extremists that before they came became disciples, they were people that, that just believed in, you know, if you could kill a Roman and dig a hole and bury him and not be found out, that was... That was power for the course. And if you could do some damage to a Jew that was collaborating with Rome and collecting taxes or collaborating with Rome and cooperating with Rome in some other way, man, you wanted to damage them in some way. You wanted to hurt them. And then, you know, then you have in the same group of disciples, Matthew, who's been a Jewish 
tax collector collaborating with Rome and stealing from Jews. <laughs> and Jesus pulls them into the same group of disciples and he loves them all. And he says to that group, as I have loved you, love one another. Wow. <laughs> Paul wrote in Ephesians, there, I mean, there's, there's other things in, the, in that group of disciples. You think of Thaddeus. Thaddeus is someone that we almost hear nothing about in the scriptures. He's very seldom referenced. We, we know very little about him, just a quiet, uh, quiet man, disciple of Jesus. And then you have Simon Peter, who is obnoxious and loud and quick and, and all of those kind of things. You just have all kinds of dynamics in that group of disciples that Jesus loved. And he tells them to love one another as he has loved them. But going on, Paul writes in, in, to the church in Ephesians in, in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Love is seldom a really easy thing. If you start looking at the passages in Scripture that deal with love, it's interesting that they connect love with words such as be patient, be gentle, be kind. Because we are called to love people that we just aren't inclined to. We have differences with them. It means that we have to endure. We have to bear with them. In fact, he uses this word in Ephesians 4 too, bearing with one another in love. He didn't just drop that in there. He put that word in there because sometimes to love someone means you have to bear with that person as you love them. It's interesting. God bears with us as he loves us. There are times in my life God's love has bared, he's endured Adrian Timmons as he has loved me. Same is probably true for you. You think back in the Old Testament and you think of the Israelites and uh, how many times, you know, God was ready to say, okay, I'm just ready to dig a hole and dump the whole bunch in there and close it in over them. And Moses had to intercede God. He said, God, you, you've got a reputation. It's all over the world that you adopted these people. If you dig a hole and dump them in, everyone in the whole world is going to know that you didn't keep your word. <laughs> and, and Moses prays and he saves the people. But there were times when the Israelites drove God to that point where his love had had it. Interesting. When you go to Psalm 136, Psalm 136 just has one verse after another of all the things God did for the Israelites. And there's a refrain that comes after every verse. His love endures forever. Now obviously the theme there is that God's love is faithful. But what I heard this week the word that captivated my attention is the word endures. 
love. His love endures forever. His love endures with Adrian Timmons forever. His love endures with us. It hangs in there. It bears with us. It is patient. So love endures. It is humble. It is gentle. It is patient. It bears with one another in love. And if God can have that kind of love with me, if his love can endure with me, and I can receive that kind of love, and friends, I want to tell you, sometimes that's when it becomes a challenge to receive. When, when you and I don't meet our, meet our own expectations, that sometimes is the hardest time to receive God's love into our own life and then to extend it back to others. His love endures forever. I need to receive that. I need to internalize that. I need to um, remember that. Sometimes we are a little bit too much like the little boy named Christopher who prayed regarding his sister at, at his bedtime prayer. God, please send a big dog to eat up Sandy. Calvin Miller writes a little bit of prose. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves the most of us to talk about the rest of us. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 12 and he says, Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and what? Dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And John, the beloved disciple, he writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So as I close this series, I want to remind us again about how important it is for us just to receive, to let God's love soak into our soul and into our fabric. A lot of us, a lot of us didn't come from home backgrounds and settings that maybe did that for us, and so we have to work a little bit harder at that as as Christian adults. But every one of us need to absorb God's love, and then we need to be able to share that love as a fruit with other people. Back in the days when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was a story about a young man who applied for a job as a, tele, as a Morse code operator. And answering the ad he in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed, he arrived, he went in, um, and entered a large, noisy office. And in the background, there was a telegraph that was clocking away. A sign on the receptionist counter instructed the job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned to enter the office. There were already seven others uh, sitting around uh, who had filled out their paperwork and they were just sitting there waiting uh, to be summoned. And he sat down, filled out 
uh, his paperwork. And then he got up and he went into the room. And um, that naturally perked up the attention of the others because they hadn't been summoned. Why, why did he, why was he so bold as to get up and just go in uh, to that room? And um, they finally kind of muttering together decided that, well, this would be the end of the job um, application for him and he'd be disqualified and all of that. But a few minutes later, he came out followed by the interviewer who announced to the other applicants, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. But the job has been filled by this young man and, and instantly the other seven began to grumble. And one of them finally spoke up. He says, wait a minute. I don't understand. He was the last one to come in and fill out his paperwork. And we were never even given a chance to interview. And yet he got the job. That's not fair. And the employer responded, while you have sat there, the telegraph has been ticking out this following message. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. A man's livelihood depended on his ability to discern those words in Morse code. Quite frankly, our ability to live the Christian life, to a large extent, depends on our ability to understand the fact, to revel in it, to receive the fact that Jesus loves me and to remember that in light of everything else in life that happens.